Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. What on earth is going on with British politics right now? Liz Truss lasted 44 days as Prime Minister, during which time her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, delivered a mini-budget, which Miss Truss approved of, and then she sacked him for doing what she asked him to do. Confused? How about this? A governing party with a majority of about 80 seats was struggling to get its legislation through the House of Commons under Liz Truss. So now, here we are. Rishi Sunak is Prime Minister. Unlike Liz Truss, he was a Brexiteer in the 2016 referendum. And the markets have reacted well to him becoming Prime Minister. Should we take comfort in the grown-ups being put back in charge after the Truss debacle? Or should we be wary? Mr Sunak has already put a block on future fracking projects and he's committed to the appeasing of the climate change cult with his absurd net zero targets, much like Boris Johnson was. And as for the new Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, this is a man who, during the David Cameron years, was in charge of the rollout of city TV channels. The business model was flawed from day one. Lots of them are pretty much closed. None have made much of an impact. And during his years as England's health secretary, he did little to endear himself to the medical profession. As foreign secretary, he shamefully supported Saudi Arabia's military intervention in Yemen. You know, that seven-year conflict that the BBC doesn't bother to tell us about. Mr Hunt actively continued to support and endorse arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Fills you with confidence, doesn't it? This might go on for a bit longer than 20 minutes, but I don't care. Do stay with us. Well, Greg, first of all, our listeners might notice a difference this time because you're now on much faster broadband and there's a distinct improvement in sound quality at your end, which which can only be a good thing, I think. So a lot has happened since we were last here together doing a podcast. Uh, the Liz Truss era has come and gone. And there's a general sense, as far as I'm concerned, that Britain now feels as though it's a country joining the League of Poorer, Less Stable Nations, because 44 days she was Prime Minister, which is a record by some considerable distance. I think the previous record was 119 days, and that was just, in his case, it was an unfortunate illness. So this is very, very unusual what we've experienced here. And assessing where Liz Truss may have gone wrong, well, first of all, I believe she was out of her depth. Secondly, One of the key rules of politics is knowing how much space you've got. And this was something Margaret Thatcher understood until she tripped up over herself in 1989, 1990, when she became a bit too big for her boots and self-important. But let me expand on that point and I'll let you in. Margaret Thatcher knew she didn't have very much space when she became Conservative leader in 1975, after the leadership contest in which she beat Edward Heath. At the beginning, she appointed a lot of Heath's allies to her shadow cabinet. Jim Pryor, Peter Walker, Ian Gilmore, even Willie Whitelaw, although that relationship she had with him became one of her most important working relationship. She was instinctively cautious. When Margaret Thatcher won the 1979 election, she knew she wanted to take on the miners at some point, but she didn't feel then she had the space to do it. When it looked as if there might be a clash with the miners in her first term, when she was struggling in the polls, she gave in. 
She knew when she had the space. Liz Truss did not. Thatcher had space in the early 1980s. The Labour Party was split between the left and right. There was also the SDP breakaway. That gave her space. She then sacked some of the wets in the cabinet, as she called them. She moved Jim Pryor to Northern Ireland, which is arguably even more of a punishment than sacking them. She started to become more radical. After the 1983 election landslide, she became more daring with her policies. And as I say, that judgment went towards the end of her time, when after the second term, she became too self-important. But Thatcher knew how much room for manoeuvre she had. Liz Truss, Greg, did not. I'm inclined to agree, but I think you've actually made one mistake with um, Margaret Thatcher, because you say she didn't, she knew she had limited ability with the miners. Uh, I don't think that's true. She knew what she was doing with the miners, and she spent until she had the strength to fight them, creating that strength. She stockpiled coal all over the country. And that was her first task in dealing with the miners. If she hadn't stockpiled it, whatever space she had, she would have lost. Well, you're correct. And this is kind of what I'm getting at. She couldn't have done it when they were demanding the pay rise in, what, 1980-81. As you say, correctly, the coal had not been stockpiled. And also she was doing very badly in the polls at that time. It would not have worked. There was the stockpiling of coal throughout the winter of 83 into 84. Scargill and the miners foolishly called the strike in the spring, where there's a natural tail off in demand anyway. And at which time Thatcher's position had been consolidated for the reasons I just explained. And her cabinet was more of the dries than the wets than it was three or four years earlier. The timing was very important. Thatcher knew how much space she had in 84, which was a lot more than she had in 1980-81. She instinctively knew that. Liz Truss, with the quasi-Quarteng mini-budget, did not, because it was radical, all right, the corporation tax cut, the abolition of the higher rate of income tax, the national insurance rise reversal, and the 1p reduction in the rate of income tax. Well, that was in particular what spooked the market. But there was a problem there in that, a very large number of her own MPs was not willing to support her. Arguably, more importantly, the markets were not willing to support her because there were obvious questions. What were the gaps in the budget now going to be paid for with? More borrowing? Well, that's more expensive than it used to be. So she didn't know how much room she had. And that, I believe, is what led to her very rapid downfall. I totally disagree with you. Go on. I believe that her mistake was quite simple and based on two things. The optics of what she was doing were wide open to ridicule, although she was doing exactly the right thing. Her policies with Kwasi Kwarteng were spot on for growth, spot on for restructuring our economy to be far more stable, founded on much stronger footing, and where it came unstruck with the bankers, which includes a huge number of MPs who are funded by banks in one way or another, or funded by hedge funds, or funded by financial services. Therefore, they do what they're told, and they're not working democratically for us. They're working financially for themselves. And she did something 
that the banks didn't like, which was she cut down on the country's long-term borrowing. She made it far more complex and she gave incentives to small businesses, all of which are things that people like the Bank of England and the various other bankers and hedge funds absolutely abhor. The Bank of England has worked contra the best interests of Britain for the last 20 years. And this was the greatest disservice of all of that time, namely overthrowing our democracy. I think Liz Truss was a lot brighter and a lot more competent than she looked but completely outnumbered by corruption. Well, I don't think so. I mean, going back since Liz Truss, she was what a junior minister under Philip Hammond when he was chancellor four or five years ago now. Everything about her, and I've heard this from people who've dealt with on a personal level, she's not a bad person, not by a long way, but she's downright peculiar in her personal mannerisms and her behaviour. Of course she is. She's an accountant. (laughs) Yeah, but it's... (laughs) On a basic human level, you're in her company, a a gathering, she invades your personal space. She talks over you. She constantly interrupts. That's her personal level. Her speeches are peculiar. They lack charisma. She'll waffle on for ages about things like cheese. We've seen her do that. Um, Lots about her is very, very odd. Now, as admirable as the aims are that we saw in the mini budget from Quasi Quarteng, it was badly presented and it spooked the markets. And it doesn't answer the key point about what I was said in my last piece there was that it left a gaping hole in the public finances that had to be filled somehow if the spending policies were going to remain as they were. And that is, you're going to have to either raise taxes or borrow more. Well, Quarteng did the exact opposite of raising taxes, borrow more. Well, yes, you can do it, but you're going to be paying back a lot more interest. That was the key point. And that's where things began to fall apart. But your wider point, there is one element I do agree with you on, Greg, in that, look, you talked about democracy there and the will of the people. Well, hang on. Liz Truss was elected in a runoff between herself and Rishi Sunak by what? A group of people you could fit into a large football stadium, 70, 80,000. How many of them are nice little old ladies? living in the leafier parts of southern England. Sorry. Go on, go on. That is democracy. By definition, one man, one vote is a guaranteed recipe for rule by the fool. That is the great drawback of democracy. You may well find that you've got a lot of little old ladies living on their own who think she's nice. That's what they vote based on. And don't kid yourself that anything other than possibly 10% of the electorate have an intelligent thinking vote that is anyway informed. Otherwise, why do we keep on getting a Labour government in Wales? Ah, but hang on. Yes, the problem. Is this not the case then, that there is a problem with the Conservative Party's own mechanism? Going back to when William Hague was leader, when the current rules for leadership contests were uh, put in place. And for those that hadn't followed it that closely. No, there's, no, there's a problem with democracy. No, 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 no. This is this is an important point, right? The Conservative MPs whittled down the candidates until there were two left, and they were Truss and Sunak. 
The remainder was then voted on by the Conservative Party membership. The Conservative Party grassroots membership is now so small, uh, it's shrunk a lot in the years since when William Hagen put this policy in place when he was leader. It's a lot smaller now. It's certainly a lot smaller than it was in the 1950s where they had about 5 million members. We are talking about a group of people that you could easily fit into Wembley Stadium or Old Trafford or the Emirates Stadium, any of the large stadiums in this country. I wonder how many of them really are in this day and age still little old ladies living in the posher parts of southern England. How many of them are ambitious young men, uh, careerist politicians working for think tanks and lobby groups and so forth, the ones who seem to be in the audience at Conservative Party conferences. I don't know the demographics of the modern day Conservative Party. All I do know is that there aren't many of them. And we had the leader of our country voted on by a very, very small number of people, wholly unrepresentative of the population at large. And that, I think, Greg, is a fundamental flaw in the system. The fundamental flaw in the system is quite simple, and that is that we joined the European Union and threw away our democracy. We didn't vote anymore for people. No, it was a matter of indifference who was an MEP, because our MEPs had such a fractional vote on what they were doing for us. Our MPs had no say at all. We have, our democracy actually committed suicide by diving into a, this ocean of people where nobody knew who anybody was. The electorate hadn't got a clue who or what they were voting for. I doubt you could get more than 10% of the population at any stage when we were in the EU to give you the name of more than three of their MEPs for their area. All completely true. Yeah, all completely true. And I think the basic point you're making there is that for all those years, we were in the EEC, the EC, and then the EU. Westminster was working within the parameters that Brussels allowed, in effect. That, that's the situation we found ourselves in, which West is why... For, wasn't for, working. Well, which is why, for a very long time, there did feel as though there was very little difference in real terms between the Conservative and Labour parties. Yep. But we are out of the EU now, and what we are really seeing is just how shallow the talent pool is in terms of the political classes in general. For democracy to work and for the House of Commons system to work, you need to have a government and an opposition that looks like a government in waiting. We don't really have either functioning in the way it should. Now, the situation we got ourselves in now is that since Rishi Sunak became prime minister nearly a week ago at the time of recording, the interest rate the government has to pay on its massive stock of public debt has fallen back. The the markets appear to be telling us they have confidence in Prime Minister Sunak and Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. They've even been able to delay the next financial statement from tomorrow, which is the 31st of October, Halloween, to November the 17th, which will now be a full autumn statement. Uh, The markets don't seem at all bothered by that. Um, Before the Liz Trust mini budget, the government was paying 3% on interest on loans. It was taking over a 10-year period. After the Trust and Kwarteng mini budget, that rose to 4.5%. It's now back to 3.5%. The IMF, when it's looking at our debt, reckons our budget deficit will be a modest 1.4% of GDP by 2025, compared with 2.5% for Japan, 3% for Italy, 4% for Spain, 5% for France, 7.4% for the USA. But even allowing for a bit of upward drift after the trust mayhem, our deficit is not out of international kilter particularly. But on the subject of national debt, The IMF thinks it'll be 68% of GDP by 2027. 
that compares to 118% for France, 135% for America, 142% for Italy, and 263% for Japan. We are not, in comparable terms to other countries, in big trouble in that sense. And I'm not a Sunak fan. I'm certainly not a Jeremy Hunt fan. But the markets, and if at the end of the day, you might not like the markets, but if you're going to be borrowing, that's where you're going to be borrowing from. They do seem to have some confidence in Sunak and Hunt now, don't they? I have no confidence in the markets. But if you're borrowing, that's what you're stuck with. None none at all. I trust Jeremy Hunt as far as I could kick him. I'd like to know who he's working for. Is he working for the Chinese? Is he working for the IMF? Or is he working for the EU? Because he sure to hell isn't working for Britain. He has no qualification to be uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's got no financial background. He's merely a puppet on a string. Point one. Point two, be careful you don't swallow the importance of these financial organisations. We're looking at the World Economic Foundation, which is utterly and totally undemocratic and completely corrupt. We're looking at the IMF, who are utterly and totally corrupt. Nobody there is elected. They're appointed because they make money for somebody or other. We've had past um, leaders of the IMF who have been um, dragged before the courts for uh, for uh, assault. I can't remember if it was actually rape or not of um, a maid in a, ho- in a hotel in New York. We had another leader who uh, was French and was scheduled to go to prison. Um, and they blocked that by making her the leader of the IMF. Um, so I don't think any of these people are somebody worthy of quoting. We had a, uh, a head of the Bank of England who basically spent his whole time juggling uh, for set-aside income on the vast amount of land he owned. Then we had another leader who was juggling um, for the benefit of his political career in Canada and with the EU. Sorry, I don't see these people as great, honest um, examples to the rest of us. But I is there them is, as a necessary evil? But is there not a fundamental truth? And that is that this country for a very long time has been sustaining its levels of public spending and the general balancing of the books or not, not balancing of the books, as the case may be, entirely dependent on the availability of cheap credit. And now that credit is not quite so cheap anymore after a long time of it being very cheap indeed. And therefore, look, we're hearing, as Ed Balls admitted when he went appeared on Andrew Neil's programme on television last week, as he said, whatever Labour and Sakia Starmer are saying now, they don't really want an election straight away. They would rather wait another two years and let the Conservatives at least clean up some of this mess, because the reality is, if there was a Labour government tomorrow, they'd have pretty much the same spending constraints as this Conservative government has now. The reality is, Greg, in terms of our standard of living and uh, infrastructure spending and um, spending on benefits, whatever the different things we need to spend money on, we cannot rely on cheap credit in the next 10 years the way we've relied on it on in the last 10, 20 years. And something has to give in that, doesn't it? One thing that definitely has to give in that 
um, is to quote Ian McLeod of rather a long time ago, whilst the socialists are scheming and the liberals are dreaming, as usual, the conservatives have a job of work to do. And one of the mistakes in that job of work to date is to have brought along with us from our history um, of numerous colonies, etc., a feeling that we need to feel a guilty about it and b subsidize half these rascals why are we paying a fortune to india to prop them up when they're running a space program for god's sake in why, i i, why I are agree we paying, with you. why are we paying for a number of caribbean islands that have nothing but abuse for britain what do you mean when did you hear anything polite said about britain by barbados by uh, Jamaica, and yet we are funding them in many ways. Well, they would argue that we helped ourselves to their natural resources. Well, and... they'd be talking bullshit, wouldn't they? Would they? They didn't have any natural resources when we arrived there. What, sugar and everything like that? They didn't have sugar. Well, people don't like we colonizers. We developed you, sugar you... in their islands. Yeah, yeah you we wouldn't like colonizers coming in their you... islands. Yeah, you wouldn't like colonizers coming here. And there, there is a strong sense of feeling in these islands that they are owed reparations. Now, that is a debate for another day. The basic point you're making, I think, is that you don't like overseas aid particularly. And yeah, we can argue about the morality of that. No, I'm saying we can't afford it. But it's but, but it is in real. If you look, compare it to welfare spending and money that's wasted up the wall in this country on rubbish. It is a very small amount of money compared to, you look at the cost of welfare in this country, you look at the cost of rubbish like HS2, look at how, good grief, how, ma how many billions did uh, Boris Johnson waste on PPE equipment in the pandemic that we couldn't even use, that was completely unusable, because the contracts went to people who made donations to the Conservative Party or had the right school tie. Look, we cannot go on living like this, okay. relying on cheap credit. Those days are coming to an end. And whether it's Jeremy Hunt, Richie Sunak, or um, Rachel Reeves on the Labour side, this reality is coming home to roost that we have been living well beyond our means for a long time. Any future borrowing is going to be a lot more expensive. That is a fact. I'll give you the final word, Greg. Marcus, we're both in agreement. The system's broken and there are massive changes that have to be made. And at the moment, Liz Truss looked as if she was going to try to make them. There's no sign of anybody making them at the moment. It's just um, business as usual. My conclusion on that, Greg, is that whilst what Liz Truss was trying to achieve was admirable, it wasn't presented in the right way. And the timing was all wrong, because going back to where I started on this, it's about knowing how much space you've got. And when you're spooking the markets and when you don't have a substantial number of your own backbench MPs on side, even with an 80-seat majority, you're heading for big trouble. But Greg, it's been a fascinating discussion. Good to be back after a little break. You're coming through loud and clear now that you've got decent broadband. My thanks to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time. Mm -hmm.